Welcome to Breaking the Couch, a weekly conversation demystifying what happens in and behind the therapy scene to support your healing journey. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Dowson, a licensed clinical professional counselor, a certified school psychologist, and a trauma specialist with Playfully Psyched. And I'm Dr. Joe Harchi with Software Psychology, a licensed clinical psychologist. We're here aiming to provide you with mental health tools to address the cycle of generational trauma across the age span from infancy and childhood to adulthood. For more information, visit our Instagram page of Breaking the Couch or our website, breakingthecouch.com. While we hope you love listening to and learning from our podcast, it's not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Right. So today we're back talking about some of the medical traumas that people can experience and uh, just talking a little bit about how that can impact mental health. Sound good? Yeah, sounds really important. I'm happy that we're able to touch all the bases of uh, some of the main categories of traumas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things that I don't think we've really talked about too, too much on this podcast is that we both have a like medical background as far as mental health, right? So we've mm-hmm. both worked in several hospital systems, um, worked in a lot of different units in the hospital system. So I was in the NICU or the neonatal intensive care unit. I was also in the CVICU or the cardiovascular intensive care unit. Um, and then some, the maternity uh, unit in some hospitals and a few other places, but those are my main focus areas. And then you want to talk about where you, what you've done? Yeah, I can't believe we haven't even brought that up. I'm super missing some of that work because I would do what they call it consultations or consults. And it's like where you go bedside and let's say the person has cancer or spinal cord injury or was unfortunately in uh, an accident, right? Um, You go to their bedside and you kind of help them with some of their mood or maybe if they, for example, are intubated and can't uh, communicate with their team in ways that they would normally be able to, helping them sort of communicate and bridge with their team so that they get their needs met. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff around like mood, communication, um, helping them to feel supported in the moment, certainly medical trauma work is done in all of that. So I've had uh, some experience in, yeah, hospital systems with consults, um, both outpatient where you like go to the place and see them or inpatient where I come see you and a lot of stuff with children and teens around that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And so with that, like you're saying, um, I think one of the things that people don't really realize is sometimes you can have a medical procedure that isn't even like a major car accident, which we know, like, for example, a major car accident could have its own, you could walk away from that or, you know, leave that accident completely uninjured and still have Mm -hmm. PTSD or um, acute stress disorder. So still have trauma symptoms. And you can also go into certain procedures, medical procedures that are you know, putting your brain in that fight, flight, or freeze, making you think that it's life or death, or they might actually be life or death. And then you might have some of those trauma symptoms from that, right? And just when you think about some people have a natural fear of needles, right? Some people develop a fear of needles because they've had so many, you know, surgical procedures or things that have happened. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they don't go uh, quite according to plan. And so then, as you're saying, sometimes the team will request a psych consult or psych consultation for the psychology or psychiatry department to come and just give some additional supports to help assess the situation, uh, make sure that, try to make that as smooth as possible. And that would be inpatient usually. And then 
sometimes there needs to be follow-up mm-hmm. right into that outpatient world um one of the things that you know in working in the NICU the neonatal intensive care unit that I really loved is that even though the baby right the neonate or the baby was my patient I mean the patient honestly that was a lot of the family care work right and so we're really checking in on the families checking on their caregivers and making sure that they're able to show up and be there for their baby so their baby can have a quicker recovery process um, or a more smooth time while in the NICU and you know NICU consults are um, growing in popularity, um, but they are they're still far not enough. Uh, NICU psychologists and NICU mental health workers working in hospitals or even consulting with hospitals, so it's a field that actually needs some help help and support. Um, and we would do screening for the parents for anxiety, depression, and trauma. So looking at PTSD symptoms or acute stress disorder symptoms. And they say the difference. So um, acute stress disorder typically are gonna be very similar to the PTSD symptoms, only acute stress disorder. You're only having those symptoms for like the first three weeks um, post incident, whatever the incident or catalyst was, whereas PTSD is gonna be showing up uh, a month or longer. Right, and so the initial phase when we're coming into the NICU, we're not yet looking at PTSD. And sometimes we can help, you know, uh, curtail that and to make it not go into PTSD. But it really depends on the family, their history, how long the child is in the NICU, right? Um, something I think that would be really helpful while I'm on this NICU path and then I'll stop. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's super helpful and I'm happy you broke down acute stress disorder versus PTSD because um, I know that, you know, sometimes I'll say things on here and forget that people might not know the difference. And uh, I think that that could be helpful for people. There might be like an acute reaction that somebody has to uh, a trauma and then, you know, months later they don't have it. And so it wouldn't be PTSD at that point. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I think it's okay for, really important for you to know and to think about is when I worked in the NICU, um, Often people would say, you know, sometimes physicians or nurses or other care part, people part of the care team, um, they would be like shocked when we'd say, oh yeah, this family is experiencing significant levels of distress. Um, we also obviously wouldn't give a full diagnosis, but we'd say, hey, this is what is happening and this, we're supporting um, family through this so the baby can have a, a smooth time, as smooth, smooth time as possible in the NICU. But they would say like, oh, but this baby's just a grower and a feeder. Right, so what that means is that the baby's in the NICU just until they can gain enough weight um, and need to eat a little bit more and then they could be released, but there aren't significant medical complications. And it's just, uh, they, you know, we, they don't release, most hospitals don't release babies until they're at least four pounds or unless they can pass the car seat test, which is basically they can fit comfortably in a car seat because they have to be able to safely release the child from the hospital and know that they're gonna, uh, reasonably get to their destination. And so they'd say, you know, they're just a grower and a feeder. This can't have exas- been, you know, exacerbating any old traumas. This can't possibly create any acute distress. No. Yeah, like, no, their trauma's going to be fine. They just got to eat a little bit. it could still be traumatic. <laughs> but some of them would be so totally shocked. And they were, or they would say to the family, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they'll just be here for a few weeks until they, like, gain, you know, gain, gain some ounces or whatever. And they just didn't always understand that 
the parents would be, you know, really scared. And so, you know, whether you're a parent, a NICU parent, or you know someone, um, that's not helpful to just to put just in front of your child as in the intensive care unit. Oh, they just need the la. They'll be fine. That's not helpful. Um, because a lot of times, again, what the research shows us is that it actually doesn't matter the severity of the medical you know, issue that's happening. Um, there's no correlation between medical severity and acute stress disorder or PTSD. So because we can't, what we're saying, oh, this is medically like not a big deal or it's like minor, right? As Dr. Doherty was just saying, right? We're not assessing whether or not it triggered something else, right? And whether they had underlying anxiety anyway, and now it's through the roof because now they're having all these intrusive thoughts about all the horrible things that could mm-hmm. happen, right? Um, it, it, we're not, we don't know in that moment if they lost someone else in an, in an ICU, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was a grandparent, a parent, could be anyone, right? They've had a prior experience, and so this is they're you know being triggered and are back in that moment. Um, we haven't considered well, no one plans for their most people don't plan for their child to go to an intensive care unit at all, let alone like right at birth or whatever, right? And so that in and of itself is, could lead to um, so many feelings, you know, of, of, I failed my baby, mm. um, I'm, a, I'm a poor parent, um, this is all my fault, uh, you know, anger, sadness, frustration, so many things can come up and it is not directly correlated to, oh, your baby should still throw in fear and they'll be fine. Like, well, there could be already, you know, medical, a mental health disorder that is underlying that was unresolved or undiagnosed. And this is the catalyst um, that brings it out, right? And so having that care and compassion is necessary. And then having qualified mental health people in those settings is vital. Yeah. And you're really making me miss the, like, almost like a cultural translation from the medical system to the human and, and vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of what we as psychologists do or did in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many of these, like, problematic misunderstandings of, like, uh, dismissing the person's stuff um, if we miss out on the psychological, psyche, spiritual, emotional components of, of how these things can affect people. Um, and that was some of my my favorite work too. Like, for example, uh, on the spinal cord injury unit, one of my favorite things was like, we don't uh, break down fences as, as Dr. Dalton and I have talked about. We don't sort of break down these defenses um, of denial right? A lot of times we would see people acutely in their spinal cord injury and they would experience some distance from how that might affect them. And we didn't mess with that. You know, we, we sent them kindness. We came to their bedside. We um, were helpful with like that sort of translation piece with their team. Is there anything that they need right now that they're not able to communicate or that the team isn't hearing? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so that was like the biggest help as opposed to being like, no, you need to know that this is what's going to happen with you and blah, blah, blah. Like they've already been told those things. Give them a beat to like, let it sink in or maybe, you know, it happens later and maybe that denial is a protection and, and who the heck am I to knock down someone's protection? 
Mm-hmm. Especially without knowing if there's another, there's something else that could be uh, erected. Right? I don't know. Or yeah. is something else that you're just going to leave no clue. Like, I do not know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that piece of like uh, helping teams to kind of understand. And a lot of the, the nurses and the docs wanted to know, right? Like they were like, oftentimes like mind blown by some of the oh you know this person is intubated for example and wants to be telling you these things and you know um you see her it's very nice and she is and she also has a lot more to be telling you um and they're like oh my gosh i wanted to know that yeah like i will check in with her we'll come up with like a writing system and blah 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 so it's kind of this um this piece of we don't know what we don't know. And so if we kind of slow it down with a therapist coming in and uh, assessing if there's some other better way for them to feel heard, uh, it could be super helpful. And then for them to hear that, you know, you do have symptoms of PTSD or you do have symptoms of acute stress disorder can also be a huge channel to getting therapy started, to getting support, to just knowing. We know that just the label can be so helpful. So just knowing oh, this is a thing, these nightmares, these intrusive thoughts, my avoidance of this situation is a thing. Like Mm -hmm. I am valid in experiencing this distress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that, right? And sometimes one of the things that I would enjoy, so, you know, kind of being the NICU space, um, we did, you know, I served parents and families of all genders, right, all backgrounds. And sometimes specifically like fathers would say things like, just focus on my partner, just focus on the mom, what have you, or I'll be fine. Um, or I don't, I'm not feeling it. Not like I'm not feeling anything because obviously I'm scared of what my child, whatever, but like, you know, um, they would be dismissive of their own possible what could come up for them. But what we know in the, in the research, right, is sometimes just giving people like this is what you could experience even when going home. Because actually what the data shows is that fathers particularly, um, when a baby leaves the NICU. So typically you're discharged from the NICU and you're healthier, the baby's healthier, like everything's going okay medically um, until they're being discharged home. And uh, sometimes, you know, moms, <laughs> and the yeah, sometimes it's moms specifically, their anxiety might go up a little bit, like as soon as right at uh, discharge, because like, oh my gosh, now I have to be home and I have to do all the things, but there used to be monitors to make sure we know things are going okay. And they're having all these like elevated, you know, worry thoughts. Um, but with typically with fathers, uh, it's like six months later, uh, six weeks to six months later, mm, where that's when they spike, mm. right? Um, and part of that can be because, uh, you know, now they're like, oh, I can, you know, like they have spent all their time on what their partner, right. And like kind of focusing on whatever, whatever. And they were just like, let me go to work. Let me do these things. Like, let me like keep all the other parts of our life kind of stable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're in that when they're things look like they're better medically for baby and everything's happening and kind of been settled back home. Now their system is kind of breaking down. Like realizing all of the stress and realizing all the things it's like that toxic stress build up. But it's such mm-hmm. an interesting thing because sometimes even just letting them know like, okay, well, if you start to experience irritability, 
in a few weeks, right? If you start to notice you're feeling more tired, well, you know, we kind of go through some of these things, you know, you might want to just check in with it with your physician, see if you can do even a screener, talk to someone, come back to us, right? Because um, you are susceptible to this. This is possible for you. And we just know that sometimes with some families, it's a little bit delayed. Um, depending on how your roles are set up, right? And so the data has been on men and women, um, but really I think it also has a lot to do with the roles that people will take on within their relationships, caregiving roles and what that looks like and who was responsible for what. So that even that piece, right? Just knowing that, oh, this is possible, one, mm-hmm. takes a stigma out of asking for help because we kind of already laid the groundwork, like this might happen, if it happens, contact us, let us know, or here's some resources for you. Um, I think it's really helpful for people to just be like, okay, all right, it's good to know what could happen. And if it does, I have these resources to be able to access. Yeah. So then they're going through their wallet, like, where's the business card for Dr. Doughton? I remember her. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And just to know that it, you're not alone and this is a thing, mm-hmm. like you're not over here in La La Land with this, like, it's an actual yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think, especially for, um, especially if we're thinking about like biological families, so I was like, it's biological families and adoptive families, mm-hmm. but when you're not the person who physically carried the child, mm-hmm. right, sometimes you suppress your feelings, your emotions, mm-hmm. and don't really realize you're doing it because there's a feeling of like, well, I'm not going through it as bad as XYZ because I didn't even carry the child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what the data shows. The data that shows that, you know, psychologically, your mind, your emotions don't care who carried the child. You can still have all these same symptoms. And it's okay. And you need to know that that's possible and not feel um, weird or bad about that if, that if that's something that you're experiencing, right? Um, there's help and support. Um, because medical trauma is real. Mm-hmm. It is. And I hope that if you want to know more about medical trauma, you can reach out to us and let us know. Um, as we wrap up, I'll say that I think in the in the grand scheme of things, we're just introducing the concept that medical trauma is a thing because so few people know about it and how if you've had a surgery or you've you know survived cancer, there's something, some medical component Uh, to your healing journey and it feels triggering Mm -hmm. like you might look into that and I hope we just validated that that's a thing Um, and just let us know if you want to hear more absolutely so if you do want to know more you know we're on Instagram at breaking the couch we have a website you can fill out a survey breakingthecouch.com let us know you can you know give us your free you know free open responses say hey we want to learn more more about this I have this question to do that tag us in your stories um leave a comment on where you watch this video if you watch it on the video format and you can also call in and leave a voicemail and then just a little shameless plug i am going to be part of a nikki summit i just thought about this i was like oh i should probably talk about i'm going to be part of a summit, and i'm just going to be doing a, a little basic NICU for mental health 101. Um, it's targeted towards like nurses and physicians and just to know what our role is in the NICU. That's going to be through PESI. And if you ask me what PESI stands for, I do not know, but I know it's P-E-S-I. I don't remember. <laughs> P-E-S-I. 
you can look it up um, online and we'll make sure that we put a link to that in our show notes. Until next time. If you are looking for a therapist for yourself or your child, you can visit our websites, playfullypsych.com or softheartpsychology.com. We appreciate you joining us this week and can't wait till there's another opportunity to jump on the couch with you next week.